Welcome back, everybody, to the Incomparables Game of Thrones flashcast on the TV podcast. I'm Jason Snell, joined, as always, by Monty Ashley. Hello. Hello, Jason. Well, we've, we're there. Ned's dead, everybody. Ned what? is dead. This is Baylor, Season 1, Episode 9, and Ned Stark, our lead character in the show. Ha 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 His head gets chopped off at the end of this episode. That's that's that for Sean but, Bean. But he's the head of the Stark family, and he's uh, played by a famous actor. No! <sighs> this is... I don't know, this feels like the moment where everybody... Everybody was really talking about. And as a as a reader of the book, I knew this was going to happen, right? But I, it was it was a moment where you know they were bold enough to do this, and TV shows aren't supposed to do this. And it's not like these kind of like uh, they they gave them a whole season, right? This is the ninth out of ten episodes. It's not like um, uh, last week the new CBS version of Magnum PI premiered. And I saw a trailer for it where it's like, hi, I'm Thomas Magnum, and here are my three friends, Rick, TC, and this guy. And I thought, uh-oh, this guy. <laughs> You're not. And indeed, in the trailer, like 30 seconds later, he is killed in the trailer because he's not, oh, he's no. not, he's not on the show. He's, he's not on the show. But here, Ned, you know, he's in it for a while. George R. R. Martin played this game, and the, and the series sticks with it, where it's like, oh, yeah, you know what you're watching. It's the story of Ned Stark, and how does he navigate all of this? And... And, and even in this episode, there's so much of like, how will he be saved? And and you see the, the episode really plays with you in terms of providing you with that out. You know he's going to get out of it. And it says, yes, it, he's going to get out of it because after Vera says, what about your daughters? And he's going to think about it. And uh, there's going to be an out. And then he's up there on the stage or whatever it is, the stairs at the st- Sept of Baylor. And... Um, you get the whole uh, thing from the uh, from the Septon, who's like, uh, forgiveness is important, and for- Joffrey's here to tell us about forgiveness. And Joffrey's like, yeah, my mother says I should forgive him, and of course Sansa, I'm going to marry her, and she wants me to spare her father. It's great. And you're like, all right, this is how he gets out of it, and he's going to go to the wall, and he's going to see John, he's going to tell John who his parents are, and it's going to be a whole new adventure. Nope. And that, and that, in that last moment, Joffrey's like, no, I decided I'm going to be my own guy. Off with his head, kill him. They, they have the soft hearts of women. Oh, yeah. Cersei, famously oh known yes. for her soft hearts. <laughs> She's, it's like butter. Cersei Lannister's heart, just and, super, super soft. And even after he announced, pronounced a sentence, which, for the record, I don't think Cersei wanted him to do. Cersei did. Looks no. really looks to me like she wanted to keep Ned around. It's very clear that this is a yeah yeah. There's a there the whole small council is like what 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 the hell just happened and this is very clearly not the plan that Joffrey because because we're gonna see now as the show goes on like Joffrey is the king and you know he's all, you can only control him so far as you can control him but if he doesn't want to do what Cersei wants him to do like. There's nothing she can do about it. Yeah. But what I was going to say was, um, right after he pronounces sentence, there's a moment where Arya thinks she's going to mount a dramatic rescue, yes. Yes. which you're thinking, well, will that work? It wouldn't. But I liked that because it's what Ned wanted Varys to do when Ned was attacked. Like, right. you should have tried to save me. I would have died. And Ned gives him a look like, 
You're still you're still supposed to try. That's what you're supposed to do. Come on. And Arya is all into that sort of last desperate attempt. Yeah, we're working backward here, but I think it's hard to talk about Baylor without talking about the last scene. So we're going to do that right here at the very beginning. It's unprecedented, but I'll allow it. Um, <laughs> which is, I mean, this is this is the scene that the whole first season is about. It, it has to. It's true. It is. It is one of the, if not the most memorable scene in the whole show, and it certainly is the scene. That that grabbed everybody's attention at the time and it is it is beautiful so alan taylor directed this episode it, it yep. will be replayed later in the series by a bunch of wandering actors <laughs> so it's, that's true and actually i have some acting comments later about a scene that happens at the beginning of the episode the scene with Varys. but uh, but while we're talking about the last scene um beautifully kind of orchestrated it's great in the script well done by alan taylor um aria is in the streets trying to big basically begging for bread or she's like i caught a pigeon can i trade this for bread get out of here fuck off basically it's what the guy says it's amazing but then he walks away from his stall so all this bread there but what she finds out is that um is that they're uh they're taking ned stark to the sept of Baylor, and she follows and climbs onto the statue of Baylor, and um, and he comes out, and this is the moment where it's like he comes out, and he totally sees her standing on the statue. Well, and, yeah, she's super prominent. Yeah, yeah, and he sees her, and he knows that it's his daughter, and he sees the guy from the Night's Watch who's down there, and he says to her, him he says Baylor and i i read about the you know articles about this episode to say well ba- the title Baylor means the the location where ned is is executed and it's the sept of Baylor and all that no 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 this episode its title is what ned says to save his daughter that's yes. what it is he's saying she's at the statue of Baylor get her don't let her see me get executed and take her out of here and be safe because this is the only thing left that i can do in this world is this one thing and it and that's what the guy from the night's watch does he goes and gets her and um says look at me don't look at that and then he's gonna he's gonna take her away and it's interesting that he did that because it means even if he was planning on selling out his honor for his daughter's safety he was not convinced that was going to work right Right. He could have just gone up and said, well, Varys told me that if I said this, everything would be fine. So, King Joffrey. I think think it's some realism has finally crept into Ned where, well, and I don't know. I think Ned, Ned has his moments where he understands how the world works. He just refuses to play the game that the world is playing. But early in the, the first scene of the episode when Ned is still in prison... All Ned will talk about is how Stannis is the legal heir. Right. Like, that doesn't matter no, at this point. No, it totally doesn't. And 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 Varys wants him to... to and Varys sets this up, right? Which is like, here's what it's going to be. Cersei knows. And he lays it out there. Cersei wants it this way. Because he knows that the Starks falling in line are better than having you be a martyr and having Rob attack. A tame wolf is better than a dead one. So you proclaim Joffrey the true heir. You keep the peace. You don't say anything about Joffrey being a Lannister. She'll let you take the black. You go be with your brother. He's gone, by the way, but they don't know that. You'll be with your brother hanging out up at Castle Black, and, um, and you know, what Ned says is, as if I would trade my honor, but he says, well, what about your daughter's life? Like, that is that important enough for you to deal with your daughter's life and make this, make this deal? And clearly, he, that's what he's thinking, but you're right. You're absolutely right. He... 
he knows that there is a really good chance that he's going to get executed. I mean, you could also argue like he doesn't really want her to see whatever happens to him because whatever happens to him is not going to be good. But I think he's got to know that there is a distinct chance that it's not going to matter and that he's going to, he's going to confess and say Joffrey's the king and still end up dead. And, and the the really sad thing is when they all, everybody else on the stage is basically like, we're going to, we're going to give you forgiveness. And he's like, okay, okay, I'm going to, and then Joffrey's like, nope, <laughs> yoink. And that's just, it's brutal. It's brutal. But it is, it's fascinating if you look at the long run of the show like what if right like this is a political calculation made by Cersei and Joffrey just runs through the stop sign and what would be like Rob presumably would not fight anymore and go back to Winterfell as the Lord of Winterfell Ned would go to the wall and be per- presumably helpful at the wall and well, tell John about how his mad parentage. Sir Thorn is at people who were just raised in a castle. You think he's going to be happy having actual Lord Eddard Stark there as one yeah. of his recruits? Well, I think it'll be bad for Thorn. I think his standing <laughs> in the Night's Watch will be. But like, so then they don't have the battle to the north. So if Stannis mounts an attack with the Starks out of out of play or on the side of the king, then. Um, then they could put down Stannis and, and, and Renly and be in charge and be in a much better position whenever Daenerys may come across the narrow sea. And so, I mean, I am one to say that this is, this is the very beginning of a whole series of things that Joffrey completely screws up. Yep. Joffrey. So awful. Yeah, he's, he's bad. He's the worst. Um, and and but you know again i would say the soft-hearted women right like seriously seriously made the right call here she knows and varus knows and these people are expert game players this is the way you do it you get the starks in line they're not a threat anymore you take them off the board and you put ned at the wall where who the hell cares what happens yeah. at the wall right that's the way you do this you warehouse him it's not going to be a problem and uh joffrey you know maybe joffrey survives as king <laughs> And this way, he does I not. Don't, I don't think there's any way he survives as king. Yeah, somebody's going to take him out. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably <laughs> like he, right. He's going to generate other enemies, even if he doesn't do this particular one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, anyway, yeah, Ned. Goodbye, Sean Bean. Um, you're never going to tell John about his parentage now. So, well... <laughs> Um, the, the thing I wanted to mention earlier about actors is that, um, Vera says when he was a boy, he traveled with a group of actors and he learned to play a role and he wants peace. He says he doesn't want this bat- this war to begin. And I, again, I believe Varys. I actually believe Varys. I think Varys is telling Ned the truth, and it's the unvarnished truth, and it's not truth that Ned wants to hear. I think Varys is confident in his own perspective here, but I don't think he's lying when he tells these stories. I think that Varys has his own priorities and his own morality, and I do believe Varys is always looking for what he thinks is going to be the best for the kingdom, which is different from Littlefinger, who wants to take power at all things. I don't think Varys... Varys doesn't want to take power or anything like that. Varys just wants the world to be the way he thinks would be best, and he's going to make that happen. I agree. From what we've seen of the series, 
I think we can roughly say that Barris is kind of a good guy and Littlefinger is definitely a bad guy. Yeah, I think so. I, I think Varys, Varys has his issues. Like he, he, and he freely admits to Ned, like, yeah, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I could get you out of here. I'm not going to do that. Right. Like that, that is not what I want here. I don't want to, I don't want to get you out. I'm not a hero. I'm not going to risk anything which is funny because of course later in the series Varys does spirit somebody out of king's yeah. landing and go on the run and cannot can no longer go back but it's only in that moment <laughs> that he finally does that so um yeah i think this i think Varys is a good guy more or less in he's i think he's thinking of a big picture he's not acting selfishly i think he's got a worldview that he's trying to get across it's not just about taking power for himself um but he's also you know upfront about the fact that he's not a he's he's if not a coward he's certainly not a hero and he's not going to go out and sacrifice himself for nothing what he believes um yeah and the basic problem he ends up in a pretty powerful position with daenerys and all that so yeah the basic problem as i see it is that ned is completely unequipped to tell the difference between varus and littlefinger yeah, there is a great moment where he says, I don't even know what is, you know, what's right or what to believe. And I think, oh, Ned, this this is it in a nutshell, is Ned has a lot going for him. He's a uh, he's an honorable man. He cares about his family. He runs Winterfell well and the North well as the Warden of the North and deals with the Batterman in the North and all of that. He was a, has loyal, a great beard. He's a great beard. Loyal friend to Robert Baratheon. Like, there are all these things about it, right? But politics in King's Landing, he has no clue. And that moment is very much like he says like now i'm in a dungeon i have no idea who to believe or who to listen to and it's that's absolutely right they ate him alive yeah and he didn't have if he had aligned with somebody maybe but you know i'm not sure he got that i mean he he at a few points Varys and littlefinger tried to steer him but he kind of was like no 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 i have to do it my own way and at that point he's not he's a he's now a pawn and not an ally um so r.i.p ned (laughs) uh it's uh but that is a beautiful scene the 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 thing that's beautiful about that scene is even though it does end up with our 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 theoretical lead character getting uh his head chopped off um it is about Arya in a way that i think is really nice that his he, he his last wish really is that she not witness this and the fact that the guy gets her and grabs her when she's trying to go up there and says don't look and then there's that you know the the birds fly right like it's it's a kind of beautifully done and it's sad because in the end it's not just about him dying it's about him trying to protect his daughter from this terrible thing that's going to happen to him he's trying to protect his daughter from what from the effects of his actions yeah that's true too Ned. that's true yeah sir illin he's going on the list illin Payne, um the executioner all right well what else happens in this episode at the twins yeah. uh rob and his army want to cross the river this is an interesting geographic thing about westeros is that there's this place where basically between the river and the marshes there's no good way to cross except the twins which is where they built these twin towers and a bridge over the river and it's really the only good way across to get to the south and the phrase control it and you get the sense in this episode and then obviously later it continues where we get david bradley as walter Frey. we've heard him Uh. reference before here he is he my note just says he is awful right he's got a 15 year old girl sitting on his lap 
who's his wife at this point because he's just got a whole parade of teenage girls that he brings in and impregnates and and then moves along and he's got all these kids everywhere so he's awful and you get the sense it's very clear from the world building that george r r martin did in the books too that this is um essentially they are bridge trolls that is who the the phrase are they are awful people they are not liked by anybody but they control important geography and they know that nobody likes them but they don't care because they control important geography and so they force people to marry their children and all of those things and um and it's interesting that this is in the end cat has to go and make a deal with walter frey so that they can get across the trident and um he says at one point i thought well first off she says he would never harm me and somebody says unless there was a profit in it which is Hmm. Foreshadowing maybe <laughs> a little bit for the Red Wedding. But here, his line that I thought was really key is he says, why should I waste a single thought on any of you? Meaning all the noble houses. Like, he just, like, I don't care. I don't care. Why should I care about anything that happens other than the stuff that I've got here? So often when we meet any of the rulers of the individual seven kingdoms, they don't actually care about the Iron Throne. Like, Walter Frey knows that there's King Robert and then later King Joffrey, but he doesn't care because he's got his own domain. I got mine. Rules. Yep, exactly. It's the same thing in the Iron Islands where the only real reason they'll leave is maybe we can get the Iron Throne. The only what leader of the Seven Kingdoms that actually seems to care about the Iron Throne was Ned. Like, yeah. oh, I have to do what the king says. The Lannisters don't go around saying well, that. And even even there, I feel like it's mostly because it's his it's his friend, right? It's Robert. That's true. And so he has to, out of an obligation that is more about his compatriot, Robert, and like he's part of the reason why Robert is the king. And in fact, Jamie says at one point, you know, you could have said you were king. <laughs> yeah. And and, and we, from we, what we know of Ned, that was never going to happen. But, um, you know, that, that I, he, he, yeah, you're right. I think that that was what did it, not that, that he has to answer the call. Because you're right. The seven... Again, one of the funny things about the way that this is set up by George R. R. Martin that I think is really clever and, and, and is the richness of the backstory is that there's one king but seven kingdoms. What does that mean? And the answer is, well, it, it, you know, it is a unified, federated group of kingdoms that once presumably had kings in all of them and then at some point they were unified by presumably like maybe the targaryens i don't know somebody out there it's our brand somebody out there knows all the history of westeros and why we don't know this shame on us but you get the sense that um there is this push and pull between the lords of these individual kingdoms essentially and the big king in king's landing and uh walter frey is a great example where it's like he really doesn't care except in ways that'll benefit him directly he's super gross he's super gross he's so off like the there is a the camera lingers at one point on that reverse shot of the 15 year old girl sitting in his lap and he's got her his hand on her like patting her butt and it's just like, but you see, and when he asks everybody to file out, like all of the, all of the kids, and this is in the books too, right? It's like Balder Frey is this guy who just keeps taking, he, he's, he's like a, kind of like a cult leader. He's, he takes all these young wives and pumps out the babies. Cause he thinks like, and he says in this episode, like I got, I got too many sons and daughters, got to marry them off. Like he's, he's a, he's a, a above and beyond kind of awful person. Yeah. 
but a cat has to make a deal with him, right? It's I think she gives away too many first round uh, draft picks in the deal. Well, ultimately, pays a little high um, price. Saying Arya will marry somebody is fine. Um, she's not ever going to see Arya again. Yeah, and also, uh, can you imagine a Frey marrying Arya Stark? Like, um, who would be in it, charge? It, <laughs> it would be Arya. It would be yeah. That I yeah. Like also, this guy is here, but who cares? Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, like say. Now Rob is going to have to marry a Frey, and I wonder how that's going to go. Yeah, this is the... So, uh, also, I, I I chuckle, and she starts... Because she sells low, right? She starts with the lowest. It's like, well, you're going to have to take on a squire, and eventually he's going to be a knight. And they're like, whatever. It's like, well, and your sister's going to need to marry somebody. And they're like, well, whatever. Because, again, it's a yeah. bunch of men in Westeros, and they don't really <laughs> right. care about marrying off their sisters. But, it's like, and you're going to yes. have to marry one of his daughters, and then everybody's like, oh, yep. damn. Then you find out why Theon's in the foreground of that shot, because he's just Cause snickering. He's just, away he starts laughing it is great because theon is laughing and laughing at rob's misfortune he knows he has to do this like the stakes are high but theon just thinks it's hilarious and there was a moment where rob actually asks like uh are any of his daughters and you can pick like you can literally you can pick he's got lots yeah, of daughters he does are any of them, of them any good basically essentially are any of them attractive and she's like well there's one who's mm, like <laughs> there's one who's not terrible and then that's, that makes theon cackle scene, by the way yeah it, Right, like, hey, mom, hey, mom, you hey, any hot? <laughs> any uh, are any of them hot? <laughs> Scope out the talent for me, okay, well, mom? I think weird. I, I don't know. I think she's obviously like trying to say who's good enough for my son. She's like none of them, but one of them, eh, she might be okay. But yeah, it is. It is super weird. The whole thing is weird. The whole thing is gross and creepy, and that's part of the part of the point of this. Um, but you're right. Rob agrees to this. He's like, can I say no? And she's like, not really, if you want to cross. And he's like, all right. And and this <laughs> is uh, setting up. Uh, ultimately, he hasn't even met the girl he's going to marry. But ultimately, this is what kills Robin Cat. Yep. This is what causes the Red Wedding to happen, is agreeing to Walder Frey's terms here in order to go across the river and well, well, attack the Lannisters. You could also argue it was going against their agreement. Because Rob falls right. in love, he does fall in love, right? But this is the this is the root of it. This is the deal that they make that he won't um, hold up his end of, and that gets right. them killed. So here here it begins. Here begins the the story that leads to the red wedding. Um, Too bad there's no other bridges in the entire kingdom. No, well, I think George Mar- George R. R. Martin was tickled by the idea that they were like basically a whole family of bridge trolls. <laughs> no, I I like the concept. But I just feel like you know I look at the Mississippi. Yeah, people yeah. can get across that well, okay. I think the way it works is like yeah, basically there's this the, you know there's like the neck and and um the whole idea here in the trident is like there's a big delta and then like it's a narrowing of the continent at this point it's like like a panama kind of thing and so basically like there's a there's a space where it's if not there's no way across there's nowhere across anywhere close and if you're marching an army and you have to go around you know but yeah it is a interesting contrivance of the geography yeah. But a fun, interesting contrivance. Don't get me wrong. Yes. Like, the effects on the story are super interesting, so I accept it. I just, it's a fun thing to nitpick, too. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Like, there's really no way. I was thinking, like, are there boats? <laughs> Could you? <laughs> but I think the idea is that if you get 20,000 guys, there are not enough boats. You need to march them across. A, but could you i don't know there's we could ask a lot of questions but obviously not because nobody would deal with the phrase if they could avoid it <laughs> right and here they are 
presumably the phrase from time to time go blow up anybody who like sets up a ferry oh, operation 10 feet down a, the road that's a great idea i like i like that idea that the phrase are, are making sure that they've got their entire um you know their entire plan their entire like franchise that cannot be uh cannot be stopped by anybody i'm looking at a map of westeros it is it is a fanciful it is a fanciful geography, isn't it? <laughs> yes. But uh, but yeah, that, that's the idea is that it like England, it is tall and narrow and that you end up with these places where you're you're basically like stuck. Um, not that you couldn't go around, but that it would be uh, a long way to go to get around. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. I, I, this is also a case where suddenly geography matters a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Suddenly for this moment. Um, got some stuff at the wall we should talk about? Oh, yeah. So, G.R. Mormont, the old bear, gives John a sword as a thank you for killing the dead guy who was trying to kill them. It is called Longclaw. It is made of Valyrian steel. This will be important later. And he got the pommel, which was of the bear, because that was the Mormont crest, replaced with the wolf of the Starks, and uh, gives that to John. Um, and says in a delightful cross in case you hadn't already figured it out this was meant i was meant to hand this down as my father handed it down to me to my son jorah but he is a traitor who is exiled and so i give it to you and it's like jorah but i know that guy yeah (laughs) (laughs) i wrote that down as it was meant for jorah mormont currently employed in the daenerys storyline yeah yeah but it's a nice that's actually the crosses that don't cross are among my favorite things in game of thrones where there's just a character over here and a character over here and they're totally related but they never intersect and so you never really get that story of that and this is a great example where like the old bear is is jorah's dad and and that just that never connects people people meet both of them like i was thinking does and i don't actually remember this when john snow meets jorah does he look at the sword and be like hey wait a second <laughs> well it has a different pommel now that's so true it's not going to be that identifiable know. yeah you just uh, uh, take off the vin number and no one can know what the who owned the car before and uh john takes the sword back to the mess hall where today everybody loves Jon Snow and they're like sword 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 and then yeah. run around playing with it in the background well well uh thorn has been sent to king's landing because the old bear knows that thorn and john don't get along and he is tired of thorn being around so he sends him to king's landing with the hand of the reanimated corpse as a present for joffrey or something whatever but uh with him gone that's the first attempt at convincing people that there are zombies up here it doesn't work so later on we're gonna have to do the much more elaborate and ridiculous plan of capturing one (laughs) yes and then shipping it off in a box um so also i think what's omitted here is the fact that now everybody knows that john was like a, a a great hero and saved the commander from a monster that was in his so john john's stock has gone up his cred has gone up because of the heroic thing he did so that that, that we've we've missed some of that but i think that's part of what's going on here yeah. i also really enjoy the <laughs> fact that it's like like he comes back and he's like very somber about like yes well I, okay i i guess i have to accept this sword and then he goes into the mess hall and everybody's like dude your sword i want to see it <laughs> like there's no 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 somber tone there at all except for sam who is sad oh poor sam poor sam you know it's just that's sam sam's sam's got things 
Because um, Sam says there's been a raven. The, Rob's going to war. Yes. Oh, it's bad. It's bad. Um, he read the raven. Don't read the raven. It's uh, supposed to be private, but people do. Oh, actually, there's lots of anti-raven sentiment in this episode because in another segment, Rob shoots down all the ravens coming from the twins. Yeah, uh, and which comparatively, that pigeon Arya grabbed gets away scot-free. Yeah, it does. It's off there with all the rest of them after Ned gets his head chopped off. Um, another great scene. Actually, I think one of my favorite scenes in Game of Thrones is the scene between Meister Aemon and John where he's talking to him about the fact that now that John knows that Rob is going to war, that his father is um, is in in uh, is being held captive at King's Landing, that his his brother has mounted an army and is going on the march, he knows that he, John is being tempted to leave the Night's Watch and break his duty, and so he gives him the speech and he talks about. Uh, you know, you know why we don't get married or or aren't with with women when we're the Night's Watch. It's because love is the death of duty, and you know, just like the, the Jedi. Yeah, and uh, what will your father choose? He says, love or honor, which is of course what's hanging in the air during this entire episode after Ned's conversation with Varys, because it ends with, what about your daughters? What will you do? Will you choose honor or will you dishonor yourself in order to save your family? And that's hanging out there. And Amon says, most. Most of us are not so strong. If your father, you're sure your father's going to do the right thing, most of us are not so strong. And of course, Ned doesn't choose honor. He does choose to try and save his family. And Eamon says, in every man's life comes a day that is not easy. Most of them are easy, but then there's the moment where you're tested and you have to prove who you are. And um, it's, it's a great speech by this old blind man who's talking to this headstrong kid and i really enjoy it he says i know it hurts which is great because john's like you have no idea at at which point he's like let me tell you a story um (laughs) i had a family once (laughs) i was old and blind and already at the wall when i found out that they killed my brother and they killed his son and they killed all of his son's little babies and i didn't do anything and he's like but that means you're yeah that's right they my dad was the king and then i refused the throne which is such a great tidbit that is just thrown in there like i refused the throne and so they gave it to my brother because and i went off and and because essentially became a meister and went to the wall like what is that story like that's a whole other story in there what a character this is old old meister Eamon. and that's that moment where i feel like if you if you don't know the show and you haven't read the books and you're just watching it for the first time that it, it's an interesting story but like oh my god that line where john says you're Aemon Targaryen. Like, if you know the world and the world building, that is like a ton of bricks hitting you. It's like, this is huge. And, and as I wrote down, they are related. Yeah. John, <laughs> that's your great, great uncle right there. Yeah, right there. That's him. Um, it's a, But I, I love the speech. I love this character. I love the idea that a, a guy who was essentially the heir to the throne decided he didn't want it i think that's a great idea by the way yeah yeah well he lives to a very old age and the rest of his family is dead um i think in the books i don't think in the show i think in the books there's also a conversation at some point about how there was a debate about whether they were going to go to the wall and kill 
Aemon Targaryen and and it was basically like he's a meister and he's at the wall he's basically off limits and he's not going to be a threat but like he's as a result he's the only member of his family he thinks more or less who survives um, I think that's fascinating too and of course it wraps up by him saying um, you're going to have to John he says you're going to have to make a decision and live with it for the rest of your life just as I have and that's where he leaves it but i just i love the scene i love the character i think it's so cool that that it is revealed that the old man the wise old man he's like the yoda of game of thrones he explains what's going on turns out yeah he could have been the king if he wanted to be and he turned his back on that and he's a targaryen which means that all of these other targaryens who died or went across the narrow sea as babies and all that they're all related he's like their uncle their great uncle it's this whole uh just like that's who this guy is. He's not a nobody. He's not this nice. I mean, I don't know if you ever, as a kid, met like a like a nice old person who was tangentially related to your family or maybe a friend of the family, and you thought, oh, they were nice, and then later you found out, like, oh my god, they had this whole story that, as a child, of course, I knew nothing about. But that happened to me. I had a my grandmother had a a friend, maybe a boyfriend, uh, who was an old man who turned out to be like in the mob. <laughs> By the time I knew him, he was just a nice old man who listened to Phillies games on the radio. But he was like in the Philadelphia mob, and that's how I feel about this. Which just like oh he's just a doddering old man who's still here he'll be dead soon and oh my god he was going to be the king it's great it's so great yeah i love him i love that whole scene that's great all right uh okay let's go to the east shall we (laughs) um so that scratch drogo got now here's my question for you Uh um so drogo gets the scratch in his duel with the guy and he takes care of the guy no problem he actually like like has the scratch go deeper and become a deeper wound because he's that cool and then it's it looks like excuse me it looks like it's gonna be affected and she has the um daenerys has the uh, witch woman uh wash it out so my question for you is uh knowing what we know did the wish woman was this all i mean because in this episode they're like you should never have had the witch woman uh care for him she's the reason that he's dying now because it didn't seem like a particularly serious wound and now he's dying so did the witch woman kill Khal drogo is that is yeah. that right yes yeah yep. okay i i thought i remembered that and i think it may be revealed in episode 10 but the idea is daenerys is asking for his help and actually the witch woman is wanting revenge for all the terrible things that the call has done and so she yeah. basically She's, poisons him it poisons his wound she's actually not thrilled about being a slave it turns out funny <laughs> funny about that well, Daenerys says, uh, well, I really need her to take care of him now and save his life because, uh, and I'll make you not a slave if you'll do that. Um, and cause he falls off his horse, which has got to be the worst thing in the world. If you're a horse guy, right? Horse. Lord. Oh yeah. Just as soon as he hits the ground, he's like, you have to kill me. I'm dead. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not going to go well. There is yeah. a, there's a, a nice moment where Jorah is like, I, um, Oh no, she says to Jorah, I think you should wear your armor tonight. And he's like, yeah, that's a, that's yep. a, that's a good idea. Uh, it's explained that, uh, this is not like Westeros where there's a line of succession. Her son, uh, if Drogo dies, her son is not going to become call. Her son will be fed to the dogs, um, because he will be a threat to whoever takes over as the call in, in fighting. And, uh, 
Uh, so she calls for the ma- the 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 witch woman who says we have to do blood magic. Everybody's like, no, 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 blood magic. That's bad. That's bad. That's bad. It's forbidden. And they're like, nope. Bring the horse. So they bring the horse. The horse knows that it's. <laughs> I have to kill the most symbolic thing. Yeah. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah. The horse comes into the tent and knows that there's terrible things. And they kill the horse. And then they go outside, and there are the most horrible sounds imaginable emitting from the tent at that point. Uh, one of the horse dudes says, "We got to stop this." Um, and Jorah says no the the Khaleesi demands this and so they fight and Jorah kills him although by this point everyone's getting real sick of Khaleesi bossing them around yeah it's well no I think the like the women and the people she's freed and all of that they love her which is foreshadowing for for how she's going to make this work before but like the the fundamentalist horse lord people are like uh, they she's already like going to be as we find out later they send the retired Khaleesi's to just go off play bridge in Vias Dothrak, right? Like they're not, yeah. they're, they're irrelevant and she's already irrelevant in their, those eyes, but she got knocked down and she says, Oh, the baby is coming, which seems really weird and kind of convenient. But, uh, they pick her up, Jorah picks her up and they, and they go in the tent where the, terrifying supernatural sounds are coming out. Seems like a bad idea, but that's what happens. <laughs> Yep, and that's it. So that that's going to be left. Oh, there's a nice moment where she says, "Bye, I'm the dragon," or whatever, and somebody says, "They're not bad. They're bad yeah. There's no dragon." I, I like that. Where because that's the first time Daenerys is actually using herself as something to brag about. For a few yeah, episodes, she, she's been, "I am the wife of the call. Call Drogo leads you. So I, Khaleesi, get to decide." But now she's saying. I am blood of the dragon. Yeah, she's first off. She tries. I'm Khaleesi, and they're like, we don't care. And she's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I am the blood of the dragon. And they're like, there are no dragons. Goodbye. Which, you know, we'll see next episode if yeah. they're dragons or not. That that like, we'll find. I out. understand their argument. Like yeah. it, it holds up, but well, yeah, but it is an interesting. Uh, my complaint about the scene, by the way, is that because of the way that the season is structured, I feel like we go from Drogo getting a little scratch on him to Drogo being deathly ill in no time. Do you want the Daenerys scene stretched out more? Well, here's the She's thing. She's not going to meet anyone else from the cast for like six seasons. Yeah, I just, I felt like, uh, and, and this is a decision they had to make. It's like, could we have pushed all the Daenerys stuff like back an episode and had episode eight have only one scene with Daenerys in it, which is... um that that drogo isn't feeling well i guess i see why they didn't do it and yet it is really shocking because as i recall from watching this originally i only vaguely remembered that he got scratched and now he's (laughs) dead it's like wow that happened fast like i i get your point like do we really want to see a whole episode where the only daenerys scene we get is that drogo kind of has a fever and drogo says he's okay and he doesn't need to take any tylenol and then drogo falls off his horse i I see the point they have so many plot points they have to get Daenerys through in this first season because they they know how they want to end the season sure. is with this amazing shot. So that means you have to bring Daenerys and Viserys in at the beginning. You have to get Daenerys married off. You have to have her raped horribly. You have to have her fall in love with Khal Drogo. Now she's the Khaleesi. And it all seems rushed, but I don't. Yeah, I would push some of it into the later seasons because she is definitely spinning her wheels around season three and four. To be sure, to be sure. But I know, I know why they want what they want here. It's just, it, it just as a viewer, Drogo's condition is shockingly changed between yeah. these episodes, and it, and it's a little discombobulating. 
it's almost as shocking as getting rid of Sean Bean because there's what? been so much Khal Drogo. And I know. He's so and it's just like he's he's gonna die. like there's that moment where it's like he will die tonight. It's like oh my god. But again, there's and here we are. The show is doing the same thing with Drogo, which is we have an out. The magic lady is going to come and save him. And, oh, there's going to be a price. And she says, I'll sacrifice myself. And they're like, no, 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 I just need the horse. And it's like, okay, all right, this is going to be good. They're gonna, it's all going to work out. And it's like, it's not going to work out, folks. Not even a little bit. It's going to be really <laughs> bad. But that's in the next episode. So we get the double uh, double play here where we think we're going to see Ned and Khal Drogo continue. And it's not going to happen. Um. Let's go to the Lannisters. We have some time with the Lannisters in three different scenes. Uh, Tywin's in his camp. The tribesmen are going to be sent to the vanguard. This is Tywin basically saying, hey, Tyrion, um, all those guys you brought in and that we armed and you, we're going to send them up to the front where they're all going to die. Yep. And uh, and in fact, uh, he says this to Bronn and Bronn's like, uh, all right. Like, <laughs> Bronn knows what that means, too. Oh, yeah. But it's okay, because Bronn is here, and he is brought into a tent, and he has brought with him a very pretty whore that he got, uh, he he took out of the tent of Sir What's-His-Name, which I enjoyed. Sir yeah. What's-His-Name. And, and Tyrion says, didn't he say anything? And Bronn says, he said something. <laughs> <laughs> Bronn has so much fun off screen. Oh, Bronn is the best, and Bronn and Tyrion are the best. It's great. He said something. Yeah. It's like, and it- God. This whole scene where they just tell stories about their backstories while drinking yeah. avoids the sex position problem yes. completely. Everybody's clothed. They're not even doing anything. They're just lounging around. Yes. But it's still so much fun to watch. Yes. Yeah, it's great. The, the whole the whole thing where they're, they're doing the fire games and Tyrion's like, no, no more knife games, no more fire games. Let's do something <laughs> I'm good at. Let's do, you know, lies and telling stories and things like that. But it, it gets a lot of character detail out without it being sex position. And it is like the anti-sex position. And Tyrion guesses all well, sorts the, of things about Shay that are wrong. S- there's a lot of sex and violence in the stories. Maybe that's why right. they decided they didn't need to have them that's, having sex while telling them. That's true. That's true. Um, uh, he Tyrion is wrong about Shay, uh, uh, or at least she says that, that like that all of his guesses about her parents and all that, and she doesn't never speak of my parents again. And then, of course, it comes up to Tyrion's sad tale, which he tells about this incredibly humiliating thing where he and Jamie save a woman from raiders, and they get along, and they fall in love, and he loves her, and it turns out that it's all a lie, and she's a whore. And it's the whole thing was a setup because Jamie wanted his brother to have sex for the first time. And so he contrived this entire thing, which is, it's just an awful story. <laughs> yes. Oh, poor Tyrion. Like, cause he, he had real feelings and it basically is a formative moment for him where it's like, I'm not going to ever take any, I'm not going to really believe in anything ever, which up to this point he's sort of stuck to. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so the last the last thing is uh, the last scene is that Tyrion wakes up and Bronn is waking him up and is like you're you're sleeping through the war. The attack happened earlier, and he tells Shay, "If I die, weep for me." And there's a nice moment where she's like, "How you'll you'll be dead? How will you know?" And he says, "I'll know." <laughs> and and then Bronn <laughs> and gi- she goes back to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and Bronn gives Tyrion the best piece of advice anyone could ever give Tyrion, which is stay low. And Tyrion just says stay low 
And they explain that. If you're lucky, no one will notice you. Yeah. Tyrion's answer, I was born lucky. I was born lucky. Uh, uh, it's so great. Tyrion and Braun are the best. Anyway, here, my tribesman, he gives him a speech. It's like the greatest. It's like a Hoosier's speech. Onward, we go. Onward. And immediately, he gets hit in the head with somebody's hammer and is knocked out and taken away. And when we see him, when he wakes up next, Braun says to him, you're a shit warrior. <laughs> Well, that's his men's fault. They should not have been knocking him out and stumping on him. Look, you go with the hill people. That's the kind of stuff you're going to get. I did notice as they're cleaning up the battle and they're killing all sorts of wounded people on the battlefield that there is a, (laughs) among among the screams is a Wilhelm scream. Yes, just as they cut in. I saw that. Yeah. Heard that, I guess. Yeah. So that was kind of funny. But it turns out that the, they've killed only 2,000 Stark Bannermen who were sent to their death by Rob in this feint that he has done. But uh, it's a clever feint. And instead, the Starks were somewhere else where they got Jamie Lannister. Oh, the beginning of Jamie's kind of redemption arc where he is brought low and becomes much more interesting as a character over mm-hmm. next season. Yes, indeed. Indeed. So he says, oh, let's end this here and now, Rob. You and I will fight. And Rob says, uh, if we did that, you would beat me. We're not going <laughs> to do that. No. And then Rob, showing up well, I think showing his leadership, he gives a whole speech about how, you know, one victory doesn't make us conquerors. We have more to do. And it shows that Rob... Uh, really has been underestimated, and although he's just a boy, as as Ned says, he is uh, showing that he's got some uh, real skills here. I agree. I also kind of feel like this victory is made too much of. They make too much of a big deal over it as the show goes on. Like it's going to be brought up a lot as evidence of Rob Stark military genius, right? And it's off screen too, which I find really funny because this is an, in an era ran out of money. <laughs> yeah, this is an era of the show where they they basically were like, we can't actually show any battles. Yeah, we so show two. Yeah, there's two battles, and it's off screen, and it's aftermath with dead people. Yeah, quick, knock them out so we don't have to show anything. Yep, yep, and and so they do. They do a little bit better in future seasons, but in this season, there's like no, no, the wars are off screen. We can't afford that. And that's the whole episode, because, of course, we've wrapped all around, too, and then Ned gets executed, and that's the end. Uh, one more episode to go, though, so there's got to be lots of recriminations in a, in a pattern that I really like with this show, which was also the pattern on The Wire, which is, um, I like it when a season has a climax and then ha- gives you enough time for that denouement for that for that uh that that sort of like setting where where do we go from here where do we go next season i really like that um yeah that, that we don't end on the fever pitch in episode 10 mostly there's usually a big point you know in eight or nine where something big happens and then you get sort of see where the directions are that people are going next season and i think that's part of what caught people off guard when this first aired was that everyone knew this is the second to last episode which is not traditionally where the climax is so when something huge happens in the penultimate episode it throws off your internal clock yeah tricky tricky and then they then they do it a lot on this series they do they do well that's it we got one more left and then we're done with season one how about that amazing it's come so it's happened so fast we've gotten to almost the end well, we will be back with uh, episode 10 of Game of Thrones season one next week. Um, thank you for listening to this rewatch of season one. Um, we will be back 
at some point in the future, perhaps with another uh, season two rewatch, but um, it's not going to pick up right after this goes off. We're going to going to go on and I'm going to do Doctor Who seasons about to start. <laughs> I'm going to do those Doctor Who flashcasts instead on Sundays. So that'll be a yeah. thing for everybody to look forward to, I guess, if you watch Doctor Who, but not Game of Thrones. I think the next Game of Thrones thing to drag you away from that stuff will be new episodes those will happen eventually well, i think i think probably it's a, before the new book i think it's a coin flip between whether we do a season two rewatch or the new episodes depending on when they slot those new episodes if they're early enough in 2019 we'll just do that yeah uh, and then we'll and then maybe we'll come back and reconvene and and cover the last two seasons that we didn't um on po- in podcast form uh, at a later date, but we'll see. But anyway, we'll be back next week for one more. Monty, thank you so much, as always, for joining me in uh, recapping the old Game of Thrones. It's always a pleasure, Jason. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.